everyone. Welcome back to the Brazosport Vineyard. It's good to see you. This morning, uh, we're going to kind of continue in the vein that we've been moving in. And it's really about um, the unity of the faith, about being uh, the church. And, and probably what we've seen, certainly in the West, and is we're managing to export this in a lot of ways, is maybe some ways of looking at the church that are not really a design of God's. And so the title of this is The Weirdest Heard. Now, I've, I've taken this line actually from a movie, and you'll get to hear this clip later. But the subtitle here is, Who Are You? And then the greater subtitle is, Who Are We? Who are you? Who are we? And this is, this is an important question that we have to work on in both directions. In order to move together, to walk together, to be together in faith or in anything, these two have to have some kind of response inside us. And so at the core of our journey, at the core of being the people of God or the people of any kind, there are some questions that will come through our lives. Am I successful? Am I happy? Am I fulfilled? Do I matter? Am I alone or am I with someone or someones? How am I seen by others and am I liked? Am I admired? And, and at the core of much of our life, these questions matter and because we want to be liked. And even when I say, I don't care if anybody likes me or not, I'm going to do this. What you've decided is I'm giving up one of the things I like not that I don't like it, but I'm giving it up because I want to be successful. So you see, we trade around in these. This is our identity that we're investing into as we go through life. And so no matter what we say, these things matter. And we live our life living out these things. We might change when we see something that we are pursuing that's successful and yet we find as we mature some, uh, having a family we think is a greater idea of success than, uh, than being a pro baseball player. And then maybe we decide, you know, my family, I really don't like them. They don't like me. We've broken up. And so I want to, so we might change these things. But at the core of our identity, these things matter. There's something in common with all of these phrases. Do you see it? It's the I. This is about me. And you see, I am responsible to create the very best environment for me that I can create. I am responsible that my life feels uh, successful, that I feel happy, that I am fulfilled, that I matter in the world, that I'm not alone, and that I'm, I'm seen by others well, I'm liked, I'm admired. Wouldn't you call that a successful person? I mean, at some point or another, we dream about this kind of stuff. But what, what is in common there is the I. And what we invest in that is who we are. So who are you? Well, your time, your opportunity, you are relationships, for some of us, money. Some of us, not so much. And some of us, maybe more. Personality. What is your personality like? Do you bring a fair amount of charm or gusto? Are you a risk taker? Are you loud? Are you obnoxious? Are you frustrating for other people? You're bringing something. 
Don't ask me, I'll be honest with you. But I'm not going to ask you because I don't want you to be honest with me. Yeah. We bring talents and gifts. We bring desires. We bring interests. We bring dreams. And we, and we have fears. And all of these are adding as we go. All of these, you know, we're having less time as we go. There are seasons maybe of opportunity. And for some of you, you might think, I can't get a break. Relationships might come and go. Money might come and go. But along the way, some dreams are fulfilled, some are crushed, some are forgotten. And fear does what fear does. And so we have more and more history, more and more experiences, and those things help to define us also. And then in the middle of that, we add, what season of life are we in? Are we older do we not run as fast? Are we with a new family? Are you wanting to have a family? Are you going back to school? Are you just getting into a job and you're going into a career you love? So that season plays into all these things. These are important because this is life. And if you're going to be a we, these things are important. Because the you, you decide, will determine your we. When you decide your you, it will determine your we. You got that? We're going to have a little trick question on that later. If you can say it real fast ten times. When you decide these things, this is how we identify our hurt. This is how we identify our people, our tribe. This is how we're going to find who we're most comfortable with, who we relate to. And you see, in our society, in our world, that's what matters. Who am I comfortable with? Who do I relate to? I have uh, one of my daughters made this comment. She came back from visiting Austin. She said, oh, I got to move there. Those are my people. These are, you know, put another way. You guys are not my people. I relate to the weirdness of Austin. I like the weirdness of Austin. That's where I want to live my, my life. You see, that's the, the me determining the we. Who do we relate to? Who do we find interesting? Who is it easy to be around? And then that becomes our we until you change. Until, you know, your group begins to change. And herds change. The, the famous song um, by Hank Williams Jr., you know, all my rowdy friends have settled down. There's no one that wants to get drunk and loud anymore. There's no one that wants to be out on the town anymore. All my rowdy friends have settled down. You see, his herd was changing. And when he tried to relate to another herd, they're 20 years younger than him, and he looked a little creepy. You know, the party of my age in the bar looks a little creepy. You're like a leftover, aren't you? You probably got disco clothes, don't you? 
In the movie Ice Age, we have a picture of Manfred here. And, you know, Sid the Sloth, if you're familiar with the movie, uh, Sid the Sloth is, um, you know, he's quite a character. Obviously very different because he's a sloth and this is a, a mammoth. And he keeps using the term we. And Manfred, this is a quote from him, let's get something straight, okay? There is no we. There never was a we. In fact, without me, it wouldn't even be a you because he would have been killed. You see, Manfred knows who he is. He's, he has determined the you and the you determined the we. And Sid was not a part of his we. This is also how we find the church we're going to go to. How we're going to relate to the people of God. This is what we know to do. I figure out my me, and then that will determine my we. Now, here's what that always does, folks. It always says that my moment, my need, my journey, what I've decided about my life for me will always determine who I'm connected with instead of God having a role in who I'm connected with. Instead of God saying, here's, here's where you're going to grow, here's where you're going to be transformed, here's where you're going to be this or that, I say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find the church that is the we that the me wants. Because that's where I will be comfortable. That's where I will feel like I belong. That's where everything will work for me. And that's how churches are built. Do you know that years ago, nobody would admit printing this anymore, but years ago, the best practices for church planting was go find your own. You're going to best attract your own. White middle class males, go after white middle class males because those are the ones that are going to want to go to church with you. If you're Hispanic and you're young, go find young Hispanics. If you're over the age of 70, go find the geriatric crowd and you guys just create your own little show. Everybody go find your peeps because that's who's going to want to be with you. Nobody else going to want to be with you. That's how we did church planting. And what we came up with was the most segregated population on the planet was Sunday morning. You're with your peeps, I'm with my peeps, and God really has nothing to say about this. What would God do if everybody gave him their attendance card for Sunday morning and said, check me in, boss. I got a spot for you. You won't like it. But it'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. And he will put you where his we is more powerful than your you. You get it? So with Manny, he is not with the we he wants. He is with us a, a sloth. And now he's with a saber-toothed tiger and a sloth. And we add this host of other characters, including a small human baby. Now, you have to appreciate all of these are predators of one another. Not so different than us. We may not shoot one another and eat one another, but we will use one another and abuse one another. 
Why? Because I want to be successful, and I want to get ahead, and I want all these things. I, I, I. There is no we. Manny just said, there's no we. And the strong and the powerful, they say, without me, you wouldn't even be a you. But as they walked together, as they were forced to journey together, something happened. In this diverse, bizarre group of characters that would normally be predators, find themselves a we. The weak and the strong. The smart, not so smart. The aged and the young. Something happens when God has a voice in your you and your we. Something happens. Something happens. It doesn't mean we're not uncomfortable. It doesn't mean I, I walk into a room and I'm not uncomfortable. You know, when I was uh, being challenged to be a pastor... Those are accurate words. If you want to know about my calling to be a pastor, there was no calling. I remember no calling. It wasn't forced, but it wasn't a calling. And so, and so as I'm going to this pastor's conference, and my, my senior pastor is wanting me to be an associate pastor on his staff, and he takes me to this pastor's conference. There are like, I don't know, 8,000 people in this room. And I walk in. It's like a stadium. I walk through those. You know, you come into a stadium. You come in kind of through the tunnel. And I'm looking at all these pastors. And I remember my words. I said, oh God, please don't make me be one of these. I, I, I couldn't think of a worse plan. I'm a pilot. I fly airplanes. Those are my peeps. I, I told my, my senior pastor, truth is, I don't even like pastors, really. They're a little, little different, a little odd. I don't have to like them. I don't even have to understand them. But I had to walk with them. And how God did it is just, just walk today. Just walk today. And over time, things begin to change here. Began to change. And I was different. And four years later, almost to the day, I'm at a pastor's conference, same place. And I'm coming through this same tunnel, just going in to get a seat. And when I came through there, I saw that scene again. And before I could even remember history, my heart just welled up with pride for these folks. I saw them different. They were heroes of the faith. They were on the the tip of God's spear touching the lives of humanity. They were indeed heroic. And I remember my heart almost exploded. And I said, these are the words, came out of my mouth. I'm a pastor. And it was just this sense of pride of being able to participate and live out the reality of what God was doing. That's how God builds his herd. He builds it through people willing to go where he says go, to be who he says to be, and to trust him 
That at the end of your story, when your journey closes, you won't be there with all these regrets. But you will be there knowing who you are. Knowing who your we is. And your we will look very different than you. But on the inside, we will be the same. At the end of the movie, if we could show our clip, it's only 19 seconds, so don't get your popcorn out. That's what you do when they're hurt. You look out for each other. Well, thanks. I don't know about you guys, but we are the weirdest herd I've ever seen. We is. We is. God prides himself in a weird herd. The tall, the short. The brown, the black, the white, the older, the younger, male, female. And if we trust him with our you and me, then we will find a very powerful we. You see, that's what the church was always intended to be. It was intended to be a place where God's handiwork, his handprints, were on every person there. And they found that to be the internal motivation to be together. We've created consumer churches where we find the we that is most like me. If I am a, a, a father with, with numerous small children, I'm going to find a church with the best small children group. If I'm just divorced, I'm going to find the divorce care church. You know, they have the best ministry for divorce care. Or maybe if I've just lost my wife, I, I'm going to go to the church that has the best bereavement program. So you see, the church with the most programs gets the most people. Why? Because I can go and I can attach the me to the we who looks like me. But it was never God's intention for me to cherry pick the people in my story. It was always God's intention that he would align me with people who would grow with me, who would be the challenge in my life, who would be the power in my life, who would, who would cause me to expand and change in such a way that, as Manfred said, we take care of one another. That's what we do in a herd. Well, we're no longer seeing our diversity or our differences as important. But what we're seeing as important is that the we is the same. What is powerful about a Christian, about a believer, about somebody following Jesus is that they have been transformed on the inside. It's not enough to be free from your sin. It's not enough. 
If you're, if, if you're set free of your, friend, your sin and then tomorrow you sin again and then you get set free of your sin, the next day you, you sin again and you're, you're set free of your sin. Clearly, dying is a great option. Because we either have to get to where we don't care about our sin or we live with guilt and shame. And usually we use some combination of the two. But if Jesus were here saying, what makes you think that? What makes you think that was my grand plan? Because the salvation of sin just restored the relationship so that we could walk with Jesus, so that he would be transforming the me. I would be changing. A definition of transformation. It is when something happens that I hate that I no longer hate. It's when there's something that frustrates me, doesn't frustrate me anymore. You see, there's a difference in overpowering that frustration. Say, okay, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Count to 2,000. Leave the room. Never be around her again. I mean, we have these things. They sound noble. They sound Christ-like, that I'm withholding my temper. But Jesus would say, that was not what I was going for. I was going for a new you. Tim said last week in the message that the kingdom of God is most powerful and is most revealed in suffering. Do you know why that's true? The reason it's true is not that God is a real sadistic guy that likes to just make your life a living hell just to impress people. But the reality is when adverse conditions come to my life and they don't rule me, and they don't take me down, and they don't make me shut down, and they don't make me question my calling or my faith or my life or my God. It doesn't make me throw away my friends because somebody lied to me or deceived me or used me. I don't throw away people. When I don't feel like I have to insulate myself from, from people because they're different. You see, that looks like suffering to the world. The world looks at that and says, wow, you're suffering. And you go, wow, I don't really feel that. When I first came to this church, I was living in somebody's back bedroom, driving a borrowed vehicle and not making very much money. And there was a person uh, at our church that said, I just, I don't know how you do it. I couldn't, I mean, you gave up everything to be a pastor here. And I thought about that. I thought, I really feel that. I don't feel that. And you know, what's cool about it? If you don't feel it, is it really a sacrifice? I mean, you know, it's like everybody gets a donut but me. Oh, man, I really wanted a donut. Everybody got a donut but me. Oh, this sucks. I, what, what, can't somebody split one? I mean, we, you see... Now I'm going I'm to be big. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to be big. I'm giving up the donut. But the truth is, when Jesus comes in and he begins to transform us, then the me is altered some. And so we can be very different, yet be one. See, no matter how you identify, no matter how you relate to these people or these people or these people, Jesus is calling us to identify with him. He's saying, make me 
part of your identity. So there's the I. I'm in the center of the I. I am the I in the center. And then we invite Jesus to be a part of our life. And so Jesus begins to come into our life, into that core identity, and now he's going to begin messing with your you. That's what he does. If you want to ask him, that's probably about all he does. He just wants to mess with your you. And he's messing with the you and me and the you and you and the you and everybody else. Because he's forming a we. And the way he does it is by altering the DNA of the you and me. That's how he does it. You see, we want him to change our circumstances. I want him to give me more money. I want him to make my life easier. I want him to make my wife a certain way. And, and there's some things about me I want him to change too, just between you and I. And I have all these things. I really wish he would alter the world to fit my best me and we. Have you ever noticed he's not big on answering those prayers? Have you ever kind of felt like, I mean, it seemed like you would hit one of them. I keep throwing them up, and I don't really see you hitting too many of them. And he's saying, I'm not so much concerned with your environment and changing that. You are the pearl of great price. I came to save you. I came to make your you look like my me. That's what I'm doing. You, you won't need someone to control your environment if you're like me. It's the elementary walk of life that we want God to make our world better. It's the depth of life with Jesus that he makes us so that life no longer controls us. Do you see it? Do you get it? That's what, that's, that's the great gift. That's the peace. You see, as he pulls together people who identify like this, they become the we that Jesus says changes the world. So Jesus comes in and Jesus begins to mess with things. We see some of these things. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, instead of being motivated by the eyes, here's what I want you to do. Each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Well, that's totally eye-confounding, isn't it? Do you see how bizarre that statement is? I mean, you could take that one statement... You could go, bummer. I mean, if this is true, if he's really serious about this, treat one another more important than yourself. I, I didn't make this up. It's out of the scripture. You see how he's messing with the you and the me? Do you see it? Do you see how he's altering how we see our own reality. And if we talk about trusting Jesus, it's easy to trust him to forgive you for your sins. But will you trust him that your life will turn out better than you can do it if you surrender I? Do you trust him for that? Because that's the trust that it takes 
to walk with him. That's it. And you should see, so the people of Jesus, the people who walk with Jesus, we allow him to speak into our life. He's going to make this verse important to you. And there's a couple of things that are going to happen if you take those verses seriously. There's a couple of things that are going to happen. If you take those verses, now you can walk out of here, you can forget these verses exist, you can go have your dinner at Luby's or you know, wherever you go, Taco Bell, and this can all be just a, a memory that fades. But if these verses are important to you because they're important to Jesus, if they're important to you because somehow having an identity that's like Jesus is making sense in this moment. This is not about throwing you under the bus. This is about transforming you so that you become bulletproof. You become like him. You don't stumble every time somebody calls you a name or leaves you out or lies about you, takes advantage of you. This becomes Jesus saying, here's how I am. Now, you're also going to, if you're honest, going to probably come to a reality that you probably can't do that. I mean, that's, that one right there will keep you out of heaven, won't it? I mean, to really do that? I mean, in humility, not grumbling, biting your lip. I say, in humility, be moved. Be moved in your humility to treat one another more important than yourself. This is something that is from the origin of your soul. This is not something you are wringing your hands behind your back and fighting your way through this. This is something that he says, we're going to bring this from the very core of your identity. And if you're like me, you go, if that's it, I'm done. I can't, I can't do that. And this is where Jesus says, that's the humility. That's where we begin our journey. And then we learn the second great lesson, and that is, your best efforts will not get you to look like Jesus. Your most powerful moments, your greatest willpower. We've got some people in here with a lot of willpower. You know, you can stop smoking, you can stop eating, you can, you know, be 10 foot tall. You can do all things when you put your mind to it, you know. Just do it. Kind of the Nike commercial. But you won't do this on your own. Trying won't get you here. And so the next truth you come up with is, if you're going to do that, then you will need to walk with Jesus. That's what makes him indispensable in your moment, in your life. If you're going to be different than walking with him, then when you get to these moments and even beforehand, you invite him in to those places and you see what he can do with it. It's his show not yours. You invite him to act and operate in you. If, if you think this is, you know, I'm just blowing smoke, try it. Try it. Ask Jesus into these moments and see what happens. This is where it happens. We continue on in the verse. 
Treat others more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interest, but about the interest of others as well. It is his intention that the I be pulled out of the center of the you and the me so that he can step in with you and I and we can actually be people that can connect with everybody that he sends us to. Romans 15, one through three. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. Just like Manny and the sloth. We move on in those verses. And not to please ourselves, for each one of us must please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So now I need to be doing things for my neighbor for his good that build him up. You see how complicating this is getting? I mean, I couldn't even work on my life and now I'm working on other people's lives. I can't make me happy and now I'm working on making my neighbor happy. I can't build me up and now God wants me to build others up. And God says, you're starting to get it. Walk with me. This is what I do, Bill. This is what I do. And I can do what I do. And I'm calling you. Walk with me. And if you walk with me, you'll see that you are changed into a we. And you will be able to walk with others with me. That is called the church. We continue on in Romans 15. For even the Messiah, Jesus, did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Jesus is saying, I am not asking you to go anywhere I haven't gone. And I have done what you are invited to do with me. So a sign of the end, and, and scripture would say, a sign of the end times is an entitlement to make my life about me and mine. That is actually a sign of the end of time. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Remember this, in the last days there will be many troubles because people will love themselves. They will love money. They'll brag. They'll be proud. They will say evil things against each other. And they will not obey parents or be thankful uh, or be kind, uh, be the kind of people God wants. They will not love others. They will refuse to forgive. They will gossip. They will not control themselves. They will be cruel with hate and hate what is good. They will turn against friends. And they will do foolish things without thinking. They will be conceited, will love pleasure instead of God, and will act as if they serve God, but will have what will not have his power. Stay away from these. And when it says stay away, it's not saying, stay away from me, I don't want to get you on me. It's saying, this is not your we. All right. This is about people 
whose life is about themselves. This is about churches. It is about making everybody's life exactly what they want. Where we can't do this in 2 Corinthians, he says, that's true. And in your weakness and in humility, that's where I step in and that's where you see my strength. That's how the people of God become the people of God. They become who he is because they have journeyed with him and they have trust him to change me to look like him. So we see that the Spirit is our reminder, our counselor, our teacher. He is the internal force of God that levels the playing field in the impossible, in the place of suffering, in the place of injustice. He levels that playing field. And a new identity like this is learned. It's grabbed, it's reached, it's learned. It's not something that you can just change the label, but it's something that's learned. You move into seeking it, to taking it, to living it, to holding on to it. Now, Sunday morning is not about the entertainment value. It is about, is there something that I need to take hold of and leave with and hold on to it? Is it the value of the kingdom of God? And then we have the privilege and the potential and the capability to practice it. To take this and walk out the door and never be the same. That's the church. The church urges one another on in all these nuggets that come. That's what the church is supposed to do. When I, when I have 20-year veterans in the church, their feelings are hurt, they were this, they were that. You know what I know? They're not moving in what's been given to them. And then we model for others as we practice and as we become something different. This is the church. It's what it does. The church of, the church of God's kingdom. It's what it does. It's not about the number of people. It's not about the number of seats. It is about are the people under his rule Becoming like him together. If I were on an island all by myself, I would only have to get along with me. I'm not saying I get along with me all the time. It's not true. Sometimes I have some big arguments with me, some big issues with me. A few times I have not spoken to myself. But the truth is, when we are put together there's a whole new dynamic we have to learn. People that dated for 10 years and then they get married and they find out, wow, we have a lot of differences. We have a lot of work. There you go. That's what it looks like. God puts us together and it says in the scripture, iron sharpens iron. We grow together. That's the power of it. That's the glory of it. That's the pleasure of it. So if somebody in church is rubbing you a little bit the wrong way, 
the question is, what is God doing with the you? What is happening to the I? Not as what is happening with that person. Why don't they call you more often? Uh, why don't they give you more notice? Why don't they this? Why don't they that? The question is, what is happening in the I? That's the question. It's the only question. Because God is working in that person's eye also. Not the eye, but the eye. You see, it's in that reality that being together is precious. Making time together is precious. I realize that when we can't create home groups, it's because we really don't want to be together. When I say that, I'm not saying we really just don't want to be together. I'm saying there's always something else. I'm tired. You know, this is the night where my favorite show comes on. Um, I have, you know, my kids go to judo and jujitsu and taekwondo and hip-hop and bar mitzvah lessons. I don't know. Whatever our kids are doing today. And all these things are happening in our very busy lives. But we don't have time for the we of God. And in our society, we don't. That has not been our story to have a high value on that. I shared this story years ago. After I'd become a, a believer, I'd been a believer, I don't know, six months or so, and I had a sticker on the back of my truck that said something Christian. Um, and... and uh, and so I'm going down the road, and this, it's, I don't know, it's a, you know, one in the afternoon or something like that. And this other truck comes up, and he's almost running me off the road. I mean, he's driving all crazy, and I'm, I'm like, what's wrong with this guy? And he's driving all over the place. He's going around this side and that side. And uh, I thought he was kind of flipping me off, and I thought, have I done something? I really couldn't think of anything I'd done. And so, so he's trying to get me to the side of the road, and for some reason, I, I pulled over to the side of the road. Uh, don't do that. And, uh, and so I pulled over to the side of the road, and he gets out, and he comes over. I'm getting out of my truck. He gives me this big hug. I saw your sticker, man. I, I'm a believer. I mean, we're on the side of the road talking about Jesus. This guy, I mean, he is so excited to meet me because I'm his tribe, I'm his herd. He doesn't even know me. But to him, we were inseparable. To him, we were the hurt. And it was worth meeting me. Even if he almost killed me doing it, <laughs> to him, it was important to meet his people. We don't think like that. We don't see the beauty and the power of connecting with our herd. But I can tell you, Jesus thinks that way. He loves us that way. The community of Jesus, there's a powerful sense of belonging. There's a powerful sense that being together is better than being apart. There's a powerful sense that, that we together, for whatever reason, is better than being apart. There's a powerful sense that if I'm with you, I will come away, even for a couple of hours, a couple of minutes, I will come away better 
than I was when I showed up. That there is life we have to give one another. And if we see a sense of purpose in our time together, it's not just about sports or about the traffic or the bad day, the good day, it doesn't matter. It's about being the people of Jesus. And how is that influencing me? And how do I come to the table, the banquet table, where my people are? A sense of purpose together. That God has called us with a purpose. He's called us with a reason. There's a reason for our life that overpowers money and everything else. That there's a sense of destiny. And when you get to the end of my life, There'll be two, actually three things that will be important to know about Bill Laswell. He moved with a herd. God's herd. And he ran his race with them. And they ran together. And they pushed and they pulled and they encouraged and they challenged, but they were together. Because that was made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is more powerful than being free of sin. It's to be like him. I can, so I will. And along the way, that when you disappoint me, I go to Jesus. When I disappoint me, I go to Jesus. When there's injustice in my life, I go to Jesus. When there's injustice in your life, I go to Jesus. So what I bring to the table is always the right answer. Always. And I'm counting on you to bring to our table the right answer. And along that way, just like Manfred, we will be changed. And there will be nothing between us with the power of love, the power of God's kindness and his ability to make each of us different as we may be, just one. Just one. I'm done. <laughs>